the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome, Dr. Silver. Dr. Silver is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine. He also specializes in reconstructive shoulder surgery. And he's coming on today to discuss the diagnosis and treatment of shoulder osteoarthritis and how to develop a more accurate diagnosis and form a treatment plan. Hi, Dr. Silver. Thanks for being on today. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm in urgent care. And someone who's post-op, you know, has got a well-seated reverse six weeks out or however long, and it's out, they dislocate. Is that something that's easy to put in in clinic, or do I need to get on the horn and say, hey, Dr. Silver, unfortunately, Mr. Smith's shoulder came out. What do we do? Like just about any of those situations, it's variable. I think you and I may have had one or two of those situations in real life. But yeah, it can be pretty variable. I've had success both ways. I've had people in my office who were able to lay them down and do a Stimson and just have them hold a hand weight for a bit, and it'll pop right back in. Certainly had people ask me to try to put it back in in the office without going into the operating room. It's always worth giving it a try. Unfortunately, the easier it goes in, the more loose the joint is, and the more likely it is to come back out. But I would say, in general, my preference is to, to give it a try in the office rather than you know, going straight to the operating room. Last topic, and this is all great stuff. I hope everyone is enjoying this as much as I am. If we have to revise a shoulder that's had reconstruction, what are your typical thoughts going into a revision shoulder arthroplasty? We talked a little bit about hemiarthroplasties, and one of the main reasons we revise hemiarthroplasties is for glenoid wear. And so if you're becoming arthritic on the glenoid side, then we would revise the hemiarthroplasty to a total shoulder arthroplasty for the most part. Now, if the rotator cuff has likewise become compromised or was initially compromised, then we would revise a hemi to a reverse total shoulder. Because of the nature of just about every total shoulder on the market, you're rubbing the metal ball on a polyethylene plastic cup and polyethylene plastic cup over time wears down and becomes thinner. And that can create some other issues, uh, synovitis and loosening of the cup. Once it gets worn down enough, then you have to go in and remove the old cup, address any issues with the bone on the glenoid side, and put in a new cup. That would probably be the most common reason a total shoulder would be revised. Sometimes I've seen people who've had total shoulders done where the ball is just too large. It's somewhat easy to do to put in a ball too large. You, you look at it and it looks the right size, but then you take x-rays and it's a little big. Those patients end up relatively stiff, relatively constantly sore, and revising them to a smaller head typically restores their motion and uh, gives them a much better function of the shoulder. So that's one of the possible revision situations with a total shoulder. And then lastly, if the rotator cuff were to tear, whether from a fall or just from attritional incremental tearing, then that would need to be revised to a reverse. So the main reason that we would revise a reverse would be for instability. I've had people who've had their glenosphere placed too high. I've had to go in and remove the entire glenosphere and the entire base plate down and put a new glenosphere on. In general, when we're revising reverses for instability, 
we have to add to the lateralization and inferiorization. And so sometimes that's all achieved on the stem side. We put extra height or extra lateralization on the stem. Sometimes we have to take the old glenosphere off and lateralize the glenosphere to achieve that stability. The biggest issue as a surgeon I run into is if there is destruction on the glenoid side. So if they have a total shoulder replacement where they've already had some drilling on that side, I take out their old glenoid implant and there's just a mess on the glenoid side, then we have to use a, a revision base plate with longer screws and a big, very long centrally locking screw. Super important to know in advance you know, what the morphology of the bone is. And so that requires an MRI or a CT. Same thing goes with a misplaced glenoid. If I take the misplaced one out, it makes it much more difficult and much more important to get the accurate placement of the glenoid base plate low enough, like we talked about, but also in good bones so that there's no evidence of instability. What are future directions in shoulder reconstruction? We touched on this earlier with joint preservation strategies. I read a good bit about orthobiologics. It seems like that's the pathway for just about every orthopedic, you know, what are the new directions, but what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Silver? I guess I may come off as a bit of a skeptic here, but the big issue with all of the orthobiologics are that aside from cartilage, and fortunately, aside from, you know, metal on polyethylene, there's just not a whole lot of tissues or other alternatives that will sustain the daily emotions and the daily activity that the body makes. And so in general, in the past where all of these things have failed, is just they wear out, they wear down. I couldn't even begin to surmise what will eventually be the treatment. I definitely think there's going to be better treatment than total shoulders and reverse total shoulders. I have no idea what that might be and what it'll look like. Some of the things that sort of make more sense to me than the orthobiologics are minimally invasive replacements where, you know, instead of replacing the entire humeral head, perhaps just part of it through an orthoscopic technique or minimally invasive glenoid replacement, for instance. Technically, those are very difficult procedures, and you know, I haven't seen any long-term clinical trial uh, results that really motivate me to, to go that route. As far as PRP and stem cells, it's kind of the same basic physiologic or biomolecular issue. You've got uh, cartilage that's at risk, or not at risk, completely gone to begin with, and without figuring out somehow to fix the environment that led to that cartilage to degenerate or deteriorate, you're always going to end up at the same end result, which is the arthritis. And so again, it may be an overly pessimistic take and just one, one man's perspective, of course, but that's kind of how I view it. Well, Dr. Silver, I appreciate your candor. I agree with you. Absolutely. Do you have any online resources or any recommended further reading on shoulder reconstruction that our listeners might take a look at? For patients, I always recommend orthoinfo.aaos.org. There are good patient educational materials, you know, for handing out to patients, for instance, on a new Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic. Unfortunately, for physician assistants and primary care physicians and non-orthopedic surgeons, it's, it's probably kind of the same, <laughs> the same general sources of information. Folks, you know, in orthopedics are going to be more tuned to the medical journals, of course, but aside from the ortho info, that's, that's my go-to again and again. 
Well, Dr. Silver, thank you for your time today. Of course. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Hello, listeners. I wanted to tell you about our next upcoming conference, Your Ortho in the West, February the 18th through the 20th, 2022, which will be in Phoenix, Arizona. We have quite a few sports topics and trauma topics, and we hope you can join us there.